0: The affordable housing ADU pilot program. What is it? I've never heard of this thing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So these are pilot programs. So it was, let's see what happens. Let's go through the growing pains and see what works and what doesn't work. It uh, has homeowners in these cities create rental properties in their home ownership through construction of ADUs, accessory dwelling units. But these homeowners get comprehensive assistance for the various aspects. So it includes the financing, so the city finances it. Then you also have our team, which helps you with the design, the permitting, and then also the construction. So bringing you general contractors, going through these bids and figuring out who the right person is. Most homeowners have never built a house, let alone you know a house in their backyard. So we the initiative helps to not only increase affordability, but to show people how to be a backyard developer.
0: Why is it such a good deal? Like what's the interest rate?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the loans were offered at 1% simple interest. And those payments were deferred until you start collecting income. So what we're looking to do is work with nonprofit or other CDFI lenders to take that money and recapitalize these loans at a paid down interest rate to extend it over 30 years, as possibly a second. We're going to go over Pasadena, the design really in here, we have four months, Three months as a, a time frame, but that also was the selection of who's going to be designing these as well. So a little bit more time frame than normally it would take, but because we had to bet people that were okay with working with the city and being paid by the city, because these loans, at least for Pasadena, was directly paid out through the city. And a lot of people always ask, how long does it take to get my AD permit? I would say the basis now is four to six months. That's where the time frame should be. But different projects take longer depending on what it is. So, after our selection of who's going to do it, our first round with you as the homeowner is here's a floor plan. What do you think about that? Do we want to move a wall here, wash and dryer? What is it that you'd like to see? That way, we take that and we see if it fits in the budget. So, we want as much input as possible. And then we take that and we have a general contractor that will review this and say, okay, what we're designing here and what's existing on the property will be roughly this much. And that way we can verify that what we're proposing actually hits in the budget next construction timeframe. And it looks like these are concurrently. So this is 28 months into it. That's when construction at this phase has started.
0: What has been your experience working with voucher holders?
1: I personally own multifamily buildings that have voucher holders, Section 8 tenants. And they are the best tenants I have. The society view of this is that these are terrible people that you don't want living in your backyard. And it's extremely far from the truth, but that is what we have to fight against as a conception of what that is. Everyone in these programs that now have tenants love them. And that's why I said before, your best friend in your backyard, because they, you they've created friendships with people
0: All right, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, we have Andrew Slocum. And when I first talked to Andrew, I was so impressed with Andrew's story and his commitment to helping others. And he mentioned a program that he's helping facilitate where he's helping folks get low interest loans to build ADU or renting out to affordable housing tenants. And when I heard about this, I instantly, instantly knew that he would be the right guy to come onto this podcast because I'm really excited for the value that he's going to share with all of us today. So, Andrew, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing today? Hey, man, I'm doing well.
1: Good to see
0: you. Thank you. Yeah, man. Hey, ever since I talked to you, I was really looking forward to this conversation because I was like, man, even though it's very localized in what you're doing, that can be translated to the rest of the country, rest of the world. It doesn't matter, but this is the type of experiments and actions that we need to take to solve this affordable housing problem. So yeah. I'm so so excited for this conversation today. So, Andrew, let's just back up a little bit. Let's contain my excitement a little bit. <laughs> okay. How did you even get into real estate development, and what are you working on currently?
1: Okay, sure. Yeah. Um. So in the very beginning, before I even knew I was in real estate development, somewhat. I was in it because uh, my mother worked for the city of Yucca Valley, and as most single mothers do, she had to juggle life, work, parenting. So I found myself at city council meetings uh, twice a month, um, commission meetings twice a month, and although I didn't really know the basis of what was going on, I had uh, city ordinances, and I was looking at projects that were being proposed as almost like my coloring book while I was sitting there bored trying to figure out why I was here instead of home, you know, on my Nintendo or riding my bike in the desert. Um, So that we fast forward to when I moved to the city of Pasadena and um, I lived in a mixed use building called the Del Mar station. And if anyone looks at it, it's an amazing building, um, which has a a light rail that passes through the middle of the building. So uh, transportation to downtown, to Azusa, to many different cities uh, in LA. It has a pizzeria, a brewery, um, but most important, it had mixed-income apartments. So there's people living here that can go downstairs and get on the train and go get all this food. And I didn't, I didn't even know places like this existed. You know, in Joshua we didn't have, you know, all this in one place. You had to go miles and miles for each one of these things, not all in one place. So to me, this was amazing, and it's like this is what I want to do. I want to create uh, transit-oriented communities. And that's where the passion came from. Um, you know, even fast forward today, um, we're working on what we're going to discuss today. These uh, pilot programs for uh, affordable housing in Pasadena and West Hollywood. Um, uh, I'm the CEO of Green Development Company. and We do close to 50 to 180 use a year um, for others. Um, we do it for ourselves. Um, And then we also do ground up construction for affordable housing. Right now we have uh, close to 400 units in entitlements under executive directive one in city of LA. Um, But, uh, and and about five other partnerships with amazing groups of people creating housing and and also third places. So some of these are stuff that it's not housing, but it's, it's something around that for people to go and enjoy their life.
0: Wow, man, that is what a great story, first of all. And, man, I, I, I'm I learning from your mom right now. I'm going to start like putting ordinances in front of my daughter whenever she starts coloring too, just to start subliminally like this stuff works. And look at the incredible superpower that you have now being able to understand ordinances, building codes, zoning laws. Man, that's some of the details that a lot of people do not pay attention to, but it's a super, super valuable skill set if you have that knowledge and how to apply it. Um, and I love that you're on your way to a thousand units with foreign units in, in entitlement. That's amazing, man. I got to get you back on this podcast to talk about that. I, I know each podcast, we want to focus on one topic. Yeah. So let's definitely set aside some time to talk about the following stuff that you're doing for all your multifamily stuff. But today the affordable housing ADU pilot program. And I love that you're in West Hollywood past the because I personally visited these areas. I lived in West Hollywood for a year myself and W- what is it? I've never heard of this thing. <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay. So yeah. And these are uh, programs are their pilot programs. So it was, let's see what happens. Let's go through the growing pains and see what works and what doesn't work and how to, how to do this. So in a way they weren't as widely advertised because we needed to work through the pain points and figure out before we went wide scale and as, you know, a pilot program is But what the program is, is, It uh, has homeowners in these cities, uh, create rental properties in their uh, home ownership through construction of ADUs, accessory dwelling units. Um, But these homeowners get comprehensive assistance for the various aspects. So it includes the financing. So the city finances it. Then you also have our team, which helps you with the design, the permitting, and then also the construction. So bringing you general contractors, going through these bids and figuring out who the right person is. Um, Most homeowners have never built a house, let alone, you know, a house in their backyard. So we, the initiative helps to not only increase affordability, but to show people how to be a backyard developer. We also have a part of that program to help bring unpermitted units into up to code and to solve that issue so that not only we're creating housing, but we're getting rid of uh, unpermitted units and making them safe for people in the city.
0: Wow, I did not know about the other piece about bringing other units up to code because that is one of the weird things that when you go through and you buy a property and you're like, oh, there's an unpermanent addition and people get a little worried about going to the city and telling them they have this unpermanent addition. You guys are really making that topic less taboo. And more importantly, turning that taboo topic into affordable housing, which is really, really cool. Well, who qualifies to do this? You mentioned homeowners, but... Are there yep. income restrictions? Like who qualifies? Is it just anybody with a single family home?
1: Sure. And the criteria is a little different because West Hollywood's program is, is slightly different than Pasadena, although their pilot programs, they, they did it a little bit differently. Um, the main criteria is owner occupied. So these are not necessarily loans going out to investors or or REITs or, or groups that, um, although do provide affordable housing, aren't, don't need the same financial support. So it's owner occupied. Um, West Hollywood does allow for multifamily owner occupied to apply for this where Pasadena is just single family um, owners that uh, want to apply and you have to meet a certain income threshold. Um, That threshold is based on where the money comes from. So the money comes from the state of California and they have their own criteria on there. Um, But on top of that, you must agree to rent to a low income or a voucher holder for seven years. Um, And that is something that is not negotiable. It's that w- the whole goal of this is to create affordable housing. And, and one thing ADUs have not been extremely successful for except for city of uh, San Diego with their bonus ADU program is making affordable ADUs. They've pretty much been just either market rate back homes, people say pool homes like or, or for the family, which is great. But also we want to incentivize using this great tool for affordable housing as well. And that's one of these programs that we're using to create affordable housing ADUs.
0: Wow, that that's really cool. Now you mentioned that depending on where the financing comes from, it depends on income. Do so you know what those income thresholds are? Like just like a rough range? Is it under a hundred grand, two hundred grand? Yeah, it was
1: it was uh, under the uh, the one hundred and twenty percent so moderate income for L.A. County's um, standards. So that was the basis that we used for the first round on the pilot program. Okay. but it will slightly change because we're getting different tranches of money from the state and each one has different criterias. So the there's different options that people will qualify and based on which option you are is where the different tranche of money. Goes.
0: Got it. All right. That's helpful. So that might be the first step for people to figure out and look up some details related to the program. Like, Hey, do I qualify? Yeah. But help people understand like what are the steps? Cause this sounds like a great idea. But they're probably thinking about like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do this. It sounds like a lot of work. Do they need to have a home already? Do they need to have a certain number of backyard space? Do they need a garage? Walk us through the sequencing of what this process might look like for someone that wants to take advantage of this program.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, both programs, the first round is underway. Um, Pasadena's first round is pretty much completed. And uh, sometime I think we're looking at July, maybe? To reopen the application period, and what that looks like is we uh, will hold a few um, calls and webinars to discuss the program, so you can see if you qualify or what what the requirements will be for this year, because it will be slightly different. We're not completely ironed out yet, but then you go directly into the application period. Um, the application asks you questions of what what your goal is. Will you be renting it to a family member? Do you have space in your backyard? Are you doing an unpermitted unit? Um, But it is, it is competitive, because we only have a certain amount of loans that we can give out each period. So these uh, are scored by points basis, Um, not to get too technical, but like even in uh, certain census tracts, um, get extra points. So where your home is located also, um, because that's a requirement for the money. Um, But really, it's are you the the biggest thing here? And we had this problem before is, are you open to renting to a voucher holder? And and that is something that we realized would be something that we needed to make sure because you need to be mission based uh, and want to really feel in your heart to do this because it is not, you know, developing your backyard, developing anywhere is not easy. So you want to know that as it's painful, and things are not working out exactly the way that you know very easily that you want to create this house for someone to live in your backyard. And from there, once you're you're completed, then you'll work with the housing department to pick who who your you know your tenant is and your best friend in your backyard
0: well well, that's really that's really helpful from that point onwards, then, maybe I'll take a quick step back you put in an application is there like an interview process that has to take place do they need to figure out like how big their unit needs to be or does that kind of process happen afterwards in terms of like thinking about how big it needs to be how to get the permits like walk us through that those details a little because i want to make sure the audience gets that level of clarity on what can they expect because when we when we give them clarity they're no longer afraid of taking action
1: yeah, that's that's a great point. The application isn't going to require that much information. Like we don't necessarily say we're going to build four hundred square feet or eight hundred or one bedroom. It's more so to to put some points together to see if you even hit the right criteria. Um, w- one of the applicants uh, for the the conversion for the city of Pasadena said because it was an unpermitted unit, because they put a mattress in there, but it was a garage that was to the stuff. So that's, that's, that's not necessarily, you know, an unpermitted unit just because you put a mattress in there. So we want to qualify at the very beginning that you hit the the base metrics, and then you go on our list and we go property to property and, and do an interview and score each property. And once you hit that there, then we'll have that conversation of, okay, are we converting a garage? Are we doing a ground up construction? Uh, the the size and what we end up doing is really based on the cost. The loans um, have been up to $200,000. So we can't do you know, a 1,200 square foot ADU because that will go more. And we'll, we'll go more into costs of what these ended up costing a little bit later, I think. But that, that will be a conversation when you are one of the applicants that are picked. Um, and we'll do a couple extra in case someone drops out. So say we're doing five loans, there'll be eight people that go to the next round. And then we'll say, this is what we're proposing. Are you open?
0: Wow. Okay. That was super clear. I love it. Now you mentioned that the loans go up to $200,000. What other benefits are there related to this program? Like what's the interest rate? Why is it such a good deal?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the, the loans were uh, offered at 1% simple interest. Um, and those payments were deferred until you start collecting income. Um, we're also the these these programs started when interest rates were much lower. So we actually thought you know people would recapitalize and refinance and then pay back. But we realized with the change in interest rate, that's may not be optional. So what we're looking to do is work with. Uh, nonprofit or other cdfi lenders to re to take that money and recapitalize these loans at a paid down interest rate um to extend it over 30 years as possibly a second Um, that's still in the works but we wanted to make sure that people don't know that don't have to refinance their two three four percent interest into five six whatever they may qualify so it'll convert into a longer term very low interest we're thinking like maybe one to three percent
0: 30-year um, fixed rate loan. Wow. So for all of you guys listening right now that are wondering, oh, interest rates are going so high. Here is a program that allows you to help others and get an interest rate of 1%. And on top of that, you get to delay the payments until you start collecting rent, which provides a huge amount of financial flexibility for what you want to do with your home. But more importantly, it takes a stress out because, look, you're going through a lot. You're going to be doing a development. You're getting permits. You're working with people like Andrew. And you're going to be wondering, oh, my God, this is so much work. And if you slapped on, on top of that monthly payments for a project that you're doing for the first time, that can be really stressful. And I really admire what you guys are doing here, Andrew, with the city. Because this takes a huge... It's almost like a no-brainer when I listen to it and I read about it. So props to you guys for really making this pushing this program forward. Um, well, we just talked a little bit about payments and we talked about deferring payments for like two, three years. How, how does this program tactically work? Like at the end of it, when you place a tenant in the home, like, do we need to notify you? Like, Hey, we placed a tenant now we're going to start making payments. Like walk us through that, that process a little bit.
1: Yeah, sure. So the, the tenants will come from in Pasadena. Uh, Pasadena has their own housing authority, so you'll be working with the housing authority to pick who your tenant's going to be. West Hollywood is going to be through the housing authority uh, through the county, since they don't have their own. Um, And you will, when your ADU is ready to go, you will work with uh, both the city and the housing authority to pick that tenant um, and to set up what their rental rate will be. Uh, And every year you'll just certify that they're still there and they're still renting it. So it's just a very simple certification that they're still there um, after seven years, the deed restriction will fall off. So what we hope is that people will still uh, share their, their backyard um, a low, to a low income or a voucher holder. Um, but if things change, then it does turn into market rate housing.
0: Got it. That's really cool that people get the flexibility. So they're not necessarily tied in forever. But I'm hoping when people experience, assuming you did everything correctly, you screen tenant correctly, etc., you will f- find out that, hey, this is a pretty good deal, especially when the rent is being paid for on time every single month by the government, regardless of what's happening with the resident. So, all right, we talked a lot about how the program works. Let's get into the numbers a little bit, Andrew. Let's talk about, let's make it real for people. Yes,
1: yeah, because.
0: Sure. Building an ADU, although it's a smaller project when you compare it to the 300 foreign units that you're building, the process is relatively the same because there's still steps you got to go through in the process. Permits, entitlements, et cetera, getting bids from contractors. Can you walk us through the overall process flow of a deal and just provide some rough numbers of what each step in ADU might cost?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we we tracked all these data points as a pilot program so we can show. Um, so let me share uh, what that looks like and we can yeah. go through each one of these projects. Um,
0: nice. All right. So for those of you that are listening in your cars, definitely check out youtube.com slash at Kent underscore HE. And you can see the screen that's being shared right now by Andrew as we kind of talk through what the durations look like for each step of the process. Go, go ahead, take it away, Andrew, I yeah. might pause you interrupt you for some questions along the way, sure. just to clarify things, but this is cool.
1: Yeah. So, uh, this is, we're going to go over Pasadena. Um, we started with five projects. Um, one of the, uh, the selected applicants did end up leaving the program at a certain point because they they were, they had a family member that got injured and needed to live in this back home and they weren't going to be able to rent it out to someone else. Um, so they got to a certain point and we had a meeting with them and they discussed it. So we did have one person leave the program. And there is, I'm glad we had that flexibility to do that for them um, for a dire situation. But most of our uh, projects started in 2021 where we started our design. Um, the design really in here, uh, we have four months, three months um, as a, a time frame. But that also was the selection of who's going to be designing these as well. Um, so a little bit more timeframe than normally it would take, but because we wanted, we had to bet people that were okay with working with the city and being paid by the city because these loans, at least for Pasadena was directly paid out through the city. So you needed to be a vendor that was approved by the city as well. So it took a little bit longer as working with the local government does. Um, the permitting timeframe wildly changed from each project for one year from one project. Uh, five months for another, another year, six months, and then five months. Um, 2021, ADUs really started to pick up, but also we got hit in in COVID. So some of these went from an in-person submittal to an online submittal. And um, this is the timeline. And a lot of people always ask, how long does it take to get my ADU permit? I would say the basis now is four to six months. That's where the time frame should be. But different projects take longer depending on what it is
0: um okay uh, andrew so for the design piece yeah what can people expect to i want to make it real tangible for what can people expect to have at the end of the design phase is it a list of contractors with bids and plays is it a soft rendering is it the architect engineers selected tell us a little bit more about how did you decide like oh this is the design phase has completed
1: yeah absolutely so the the after our selection of who's going to do it, our first our first round with you as the homeowner is here's a floor plan. What do you think about that? Do we do we want to move a wall here? Um, wash and dryer. What what is it that you'd like to see? That way, we take that and we see if it fits in the budget. So we want as much input as possible, and then we take that and we uh, have a general contractor that will review this as pre-construction con- and say okay the what we're designing here and what's existing on the property will be roughly this month, this much. And that way we can verify that what we're proposing actually hits in the budget and we're not designing something that's going to be uh, you know, more expensive than how much dollars we have. Um, unlike uh, other programs, this this is set at what it is. Going back to city council to ask for more money would be a disaster. Uh, so we want to be very careful. We, we were within those budgets. Um, next uh you know the construction time frame um and it looks like these are uh, concurrently so it's not that it took 28 months this is 28 months into it that's when construction um at this phase had started
0: well andrew one more question on the design phase so you guys got the projects approved you guys know what the budgets are yeah for the permitting area because it takes 6 to 12 months what is expected from the homeowner are they attending these permitting meetings Like what, what is the level of participation that's going to be required?
1: They're really only hands on in the design and it's white glove service from there on. Um, Wow. We take care of, uh, going through the city, doing corrections, all of the other things I need to do. So you are permit ready. Um, the fees for the plan check and the permit goes through the city itself since they're paying. Um, so you don't have to worry about uh, the payment structure. But you're really just hands-on on on that first amount of design, Um, and and then after that we handle it all of it. So you wow rest while we do that part.
0: Music to my ears, and I hope the audience paying attention right now. If you're maybe you want to move to Pasadena West Hollywood right now uh, to take advantage of this program, Uh, but that is so crucial because I think people underestimate how much work it is. Yeah, the permitting process when you're getting feedback back from the city. You have to turn it around. You have to listen to what they want you to change or alter to make sure you're conforming with building code, et cetera, health and safety, stuff like that. Uh, but also the back and forth is being taken care of by Andrew and his team. That's that's so stress-free. Man, That that's, that's such a blessing. All right. So we covered the design. We covered the permitting. What about the pre-construction? What do you define as pre-construction?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The pre-construction is selecting the general contractors that you're going to be working with. So although we had general contractors do some estimates of what, what plans we have, they're uh, more giving that service to us, um, but not necessarily going to be the ones that build. So that pre-construction is taking those plans that are either the second round of correction or in process to a general contractor and saying, you know, here's, here's the plan set. And then we do an introduction to the homeowners and see if, if, the vibes are good. If you want to work with these people, if if uh, if there's a language, you know, so not all the homeowners spoke uh, English, um, so can we, will, will we be able to communicate with each other? Um, and that was a big thing because it, the trust basis was very important because things in development go wrong or not as smoothly. So we have to have this trust that we're going to go to the next step and people aren't just going to you know, take off with the toilet in the sidewalk um, and just leave you hanging. Um, and so that was part of the pre-con and then putting that construction bid together. And as this is a loan, the homeowners still have to agree with what how much they're spending um, and, and to sign on those documents that this is uh, the contract that you'll be signing um, and that they'll be paid to do the work. That's our pre-con.
0: Wow, that's a great learning process. For folks that have never seen a construction bid before, Andrew, how... You, you and your team must spend a lot of time educating people. Like, Hey, is this fair? Is this reasonable? How do you guide folks through evaluating those bids to figure out like, hey, is this within reason? Is this not within reason? Because not only are they looking at numbers, but they probably have no idea how to even manage a construction project because they don't have that experience. So how do you help out these homeowners from looking at the bids and from managing the project?
1: Uh, Very good point, and a lesson learned from a pilot program is instead of having contractors use their own format, we're going to dictate the format that they use because we showed homeowners multiple different formats of bids, some more detailed, some just a price and and a signature line. And it was really hard to do apples to apples comparison when everyone used a different format. But using our experience and having these conversations with them, we broke down what the costs were and and why certain things cost so much Um, certain line items you wouldn't expect that plumbing could cost so much but because we're trenching uh, uh, 50 feet to the front yard that's why that costs so much because the labor in order to create a sewer line connection to the front of the house so the numbers may have seen just really go into why things cost this much and to leave a comfortable feeling that these numbers are, are real numbers and why they cost so much and that they're fair and why there's differences in each one. Different contractors have different subcontractors that have different pricing and not everything's going to be the same or their availability will be the same. So it's not only is this the right team, but can they get it done in a, a good enough time? And are they ready to start work uh, when we're ready? Um, and and part of a pilot program is that are they capitalized enough to to wait for a check from
0: the city to pay them. Wow. Thank you for explaining that, Andrew. Because again, I think it speaks volumes to how much effort it really takes from your team and the city support because whenever you're walking through someone through a development deal, there's just so many things that can go wrong and so many nuances. So it's very tough when people ask, like, hey, in general, how much is it going to cost? Like, Price per square foot. But like you mentioned, Andrew, if you have a sewer line that's you gotta dig 50 feet to connect a sewer line I and mean, that's that's expensive you gotta dig you got a trench you gotta connect the pipes and there, it takes time and resources so let's get back to the spreadsheet here what so what does this whole thing a whole project cost like what can people reasonably expect from something like this
1: yeah absolutely so uh we had only one project somewhat go under budget but also uh, what I mentioned is we paired these, at least the ones we're eligible with the state of California's ADU grant, which pays f- up to $40,000 um, for, for the design and the permit costs. Um, and we became the first city to be a local government that got that forty dollars uh, grant from the state of California. So although this project is showing uh, 200, 204000 for a, a good percentage of that was paid for by the grant which just wiped out that money owed um, to to the the city from the homeowner. Um but we're at uh let's see I did not have uh two hundred thousand and this was for a brand new construction four hundred square foot ADU uh a hundred and fifty thousand for a four hundred and ninety nine square foot ADU um 159 uh, four hundred for 118,000, and so if I just roughly go this by this, let's see where we're at on our square footage. So we're between 300 and 500, with the 500 square foot, uh, the 500 per square foot being a historic area, where more design standards were needed to be applied to it. Um, and that's that's another lesson learned, you know, that uh, it's going to be more expensive when we have to have uh, historic elements added to the property.
0: Wow. That's, I mean, thanks for sharing these numbers because this, this certainly makes things a lot more real. Were all these projects new construction, as in like grown up, like ADU in the backyard, or were these garage conversions? What type of projects were these?
1: It was both. There was some conversion and there was some ground up, but, uh, we do find that conversions are not that much different in cost uh, because typically garage conversions don't have footings. Um, they don't have insulation and some of these and, and the sewer lines, the bigger cost items are still need to be done. So while it is, uh, it's not the same, um, conversions can cost very similar. And also, you know, per square foot number is a very tough way to go because smaller sizes will have a higher per square foot cost because you still have to have a bath. You still have to have a kitchen. You still have to have these items that don't benefit from the scalability of a, a much larger building. Um, so so it's it's tough to generally say when you ask like, what's your per square foot? It's hard to say. Um, but here's some numbers right here on, on where it landed at, where between... 292 and $513 a square foot with our range uh, for
0: these. Wow. I'm loving the details. And for those of you that might be listening for the first time, please make sure you go on YouTube and you look at these numbers because this is as tangible as we can make it for you. If this is not theory, we've talked through a bunch of different issues that might come up, not only from learning about the differences between converting a garage versus new construction in the backyard. But we also talked about the nuances of what issues can come up. And I really hope for the listeners that are listening today, you can come in and listen and just start picking up a couple words, right? This, this whole podcast might've been very in the details, might be overwhelming in some scenarios. But if you just learn to figure out like, oh, maybe I can ask one smart question next time. Like, oh, where's my sewer line? And boom, you made it an improvement. And that's all what we want to do every single day is like, how do I get 1% better? And today, Andrew has brought the details in. Not only has he given you the quantitative details, he's given you the qualitative details for you to think about how to approach your project. Well, Andrew, maybe we stop sharing right now. I want to ask you a few questions about your experience with voucher holders. Um, Honestly, this is one of the biggest fights that we're going through is because sometimes when I talk to folks about affordable housing... I've literally had people said like, "Oh, so these people, Section Eight tenants, they're 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 going to wreck your home, right? They're going to destroy your home. They're more likely to do that." What has been your experience working with voucher holders?
1: Yeah, um, in West Hollywood, when we started doing our marketing, we had to change our marketing material and remove Section Eight from there, and we we changed it to low income individuals. Uh. The, the society view of this is that these are terrible people that uh, you don't want living in your backyard. And it's extremely far from the truth. But that is what we have to fight against as a conception of what that, that is. Um, I personally own um, uh, multifamily buildings that have voucher holders, Section 8 tenants, and they are the best tenants I have. I rarely hear from them to a point where I need to tell them if there's an issue, please call me because they don't want to even tell me there's a problem because there's some fear that they'll you know, be kicked out or something. Um, it's it's really qualifying people that live in, in your homes um, and making sure you have that relationship with them. Um, but the society's view that Section 8 is, is some kind of other person than all of us is, is so far from the truth. And getting over that barrier, has, although it's been difficult, everyone in these programs that now have penitents love them. And that's why I said before, your best friend in your backyard, because they, you, they've created friendships with people and giving housing to them has then enabled them to level up in life as well. So there's also a mission to providing housing for people uh, to, to either stay in their home, especially if they're fixed on income as well makes it very difficult when you are not. What you make is what you make. And as affordability becomes an issue, it's very hard. um, We have a a landlord and an ownership problem. There are not enough people offering housing uh, for voucher holders. And that's why we want to create more people that open their doors or create housing for individuals that have vouchers or lower income to have uh, as they go through life. Um, and that's what we want to solve is creating more owners, creating more landlords and creating more affordable
0: housing. And thank you so much for sharing that narrative. Because a lot of folks just assume it's just guns, drugs, and drama when they hear section A, when they hear affordable housing. But really it's not. It's folks just like you have in your residence, uh, folks like my mom who came from another country, didn't know English and just needed a landing spot on on her feet to provide a good safe roof over their kids heads so thank you so much for sharing that narrative and now that you gave me now that you talk through that i'm starting to get ideas of maybe we should bring on some of your pilot participants if they're willing to come onto the show and talk about their experience with it because the more stories we can get from folks about renting out the voucher holders that have great experiences the easier it is to dispel the myth Maybe well, this is a question I ask everyone, and maybe this ties into your response earlier. Uh, this is a question I ask everybody, Andrew. Why why do you think affordable housing, particularly the lack of supplies, is so hard to solve for?
1: Um, I can only really speak on California, because that's where I live, breathe and know. Um, in California, creating housing of any kind is extremely difficult. Um, then when you compare that to affordable housing... You have a, uh, you have a lot of, and and it's not. I, I guess I'll use the word. It's it's nimbyism, Not in my backyard. We don't necessarily want it here. How about we want it? We love it, but maybe put it over there, not in my area, and not over there. And then that area, same thing. And so it just keeps pushing, being pushed and pushed and pushed, uh, to where it's it's no longer even being built. Um, the pushback that you have when you're building affordable housing is generally very very tough because that group of people shows up and they make their voices very heard. Where on the other side, uh, people that need affordable housing are really generally busy working and can't stop to go to a meeting at 11 AM to have a city council meeting to say, I need this housing, please approve this project. Um, I think that is something that's changing by the state, changing its policy to make it to where housing is, uh, something that needs to happen, and cities no longer can just say, I'm not going to do this here anymore. And there are consequences to those actions uh, if you decide you do not want to. Um, We see that happening in cities like Beverly Hills, losing their ability to give out permits while it's still being contested. This is showing that no longer is it a paperwork exercise where you can provide three low-income houses in your entire city you actually have to participate as well. That also takes the stress out of other cities that are doing the right thing. So it's not just all concentrated in one area. It is spread out everywhere. So It's a fair housing um, policy to where mixed income communities are built all over instead of people just all being put in one area, which is historically uh, failed throughout time
0: well thank you for for shedding some light on that and maybe we got to get you back onto another podcast in the future talk about your multifamily and also some some potential policy changes that you like to see because I've asked this question to all my past guests in the past and it's always a combination of lack of supply lack of policy support and just general awareness uh, to dispel the stigmas associated with affordable housing and we can Win some of these battles in our lifetime, then I bu- truly, truly believe that we're going to set up the next generation for a much higher launching point, is how I would probably couch it for now. So, Andrew, first of all, again, I know I said this on the phone too with you before, but thank you, thank you so much for what you do. Uh, without people like you, I, I would have never had the home I grew up in. So, thank you so much for what you do. This is sometimes a thankless job, but I, I truly admire you and your team's ability to take a homeowner through and what might be a very, very stressful process, but then give them the white glove treatment from walking them through the process, but also help them look for the financing. So for those of you that are listening right now, like this is one of the ultimate cheat codes to meet someone like Andrew. And this is why I'm so excited to bring Andrew onto the podcast. Hey, Andrew, if people want to follow you, learn more about you and your ventures, where can they find you?
1: Yeah. I mean, the best way, and I, I share my story of what I'm doing that day, whether it's uh, a planning comment to remove a roof or whatever's happening so you get to live through the day of what we're doing to build housing, it's on Instagram. Um, and I, I do a lot of posts on my stories. It's uh, at Andrew, A-N-D-R-E-W-R, Slocum, S-L-O-C-U-M. Uh, it's my name, middle initial, and, and follow me on there. Watch the stories and then message me. And uh I'm my phone unfortunately or maybe fortunately lives on my hand. So I'm responding to as much people as I can to help out. Um and and that's my big thing. I I also haven't asked for anyone listening this to participate as much as you can in city council hearings. Uh be careful and very thoroughly vet who you vote for, because these people who are running uh make decisions. And these decisions, maybe right now, you don't realize it affect your neighborhoods very greatly. And uh, also, if you can find a group, uh, a housing group, whether it be Abundant Housing, or YIMBY or some type of group that supports housing, to have your voice heard, because your voice is very important. And we need to hear from it. The opposition, it's very loud. And they've been doing it a long time. And they're very good at it. And they want to see no change. And they do not want affordable housing or even new housing around here. They want you to move somewhere else. And California is too great and too beautiful to not have places for us to live and work and to thrive in.
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. And guys, if you're listening, make sure you follow Andrew uh, on Instagram. We'll make sure we uh, put his handle on the show notes below. But Andrew, thank you so much for being part of this community. Uh, for those of you that want more information like this, this is why we create these platforms to, to welcome people like Andrew to come on and share information so openly and freely about how to solve affordable housing. Look, it's going to take efforts from everybody, including Andrew, including yourself that's listening to you right now. We all can contribute to solving this affordable housing problem. We all can increase the supply. So if you ever want to be part of the community, uh, please You can DM me the word affordable on Instagram at He. I can happily send you the invite to our free Facebook community where this is the type of information that we share every day. Our community is straightforward. It's called affordable housing and real estate investing. It's as straightforward as it can be because that's what we're focused on. So Andrew, I can't wait to have you back on the show again, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I am so excited for people to listen to this podcast and I can't wait to have you back on.
1: Really appreciate it, Ken. Thank you, man.
0: All right, and we are out.